hot flashes, vaginal dryness, painful sex, low libido, recurrent urinary tract infections, weight gain, insomnia, orgasm? What orgasm? Menopause is a very special time, and I'm betting you've not gotten a lot of information from your own doctor. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, a clinical professor of obstetrics and gynecology, the medical director of the Northwestern Medicine Center for Sexual Medicine and Menopause, a practicing gynecologist, best-selling author, and a nationally recognized menopause expert. My mantra has always been, if women are given good information, they'll make good choices. And I'm here to give you the inside information on all things menopause. You know how sometimes you meet a total stranger and then within five minutes you feel like you've known them forever? Well, that's what happened to me when I first met Iris Krasnow. In 2015, we were both on book tour. Me for Sex Rx, Hormones Health, and Your Best Sex Ever, and Iris for her newly released book, Sex After. Women share how intimacy changes as life changes. We were both speaking at a Duke University event, and because both of our books had the word sex in the title, the organizers decided we should sit at the same table to sign our books. That way women who were interested in books on sex wouldn't have to walk too far. We quickly figured out that we'd grown up just a few miles from each other and had many good friends in common. And that was just the beginning. Now, I'm betting that most of you are already familiar with Iris Krasnow. She's a New York Times bestselling author of seven books, a renowned journalist, and in addition to working on a new book and multiple other projects, is also the senior editor of The Ethel, an AARP newsletter focusing on the 55-plus-year-old woman. The Ethel has stories and articles related to sex, health, beauty, career, ageism, you name it, it's there. And each piece is like hanging out with a very informed but very funny friend. And did I mention I write a regular column for The Ethel, which gives me a chance to remotely hang out with Iris on a regular basis. And today, you get to hang out with us. So welcome, Iris. Thank you. What a great intro. Yeah, we love having the Lauren wisdom and and wit and, and just really insights and inspiration um, in the FL. And yeah, we were at the same table, two Chicagoans, and we were a popular table because our book had sex in the title. Isn't Everyone funny wants to how, how having sex in the title, first of all, gets you kicked off of things like Facebook and all of that. That's another topic. But yeah, the, the minute you put sex in it, even if people aren't interested in having sex themselves, they seem very interested in hearing about it and reading about it. So we're going to get to that. All right. So you and I, I mean, we could gab for hours about politics, fashion, the state of the world, guys you dated that I know. But what I really want to do is. Guys, I, I dated that you know. I am married. Not to know. You're happily married Please. now. I know. That's Please. Don't reveal any secrets. <laughs> exactly. Um, but OK, so this is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about what you've learned over the years about, you know, being sexier, more productive, more fulfilled, and even more relevant today than you were in your 30s, 40s, or 50s. So before we get to that, I want you to just start by giving me a quick rundown of what you were doing before you turned 50, just to kind of set the stage. Yeah, so that that's a really good question because I uh, am also a college professor at American University and I teach really young people and uh, they are not content in their 20s. Um, and I always say I'd rather be over 60 than in my 20s again. But, you know, I got married uh, at age 33 uh, to a man three years younger than me. I'm still married to him. Uh, and on our second day, 
I said, I'd like to have four kids before we're 40. And damn, if we didn't do that. Now, twins made that happen. I so, was going to say, you cheated a little bit. I know. Well, the twins were, were a bonus. Um, people would always stop me when I had uh, two babies and a one-year-old. And, and my oldest had just turned three. And, um, you know, just said, uh, were you on fertility drugs? And I said, no, the only thing I was on was... Uh, Tequila, you know, I figure beer is good for breast milk. A little bit of tequila wasn't going to uh, hurt anything. And uh, people are so funny uh, in asking, which you probably know, like the boldest questions. Well, the most- is it funny or is it inappropriate? I think it's, well, a, it's a uniquely American thing that we all feel obligated to answer questions, no matter how inappropriate, just because someone asks us. And my answer when someone asks me, anything that I really don't care to answer. And, you know, were you taking fertility drugs would probably be in that category. My answer is always to smile and say, why do you ask? See, that's, right back to see, them. That is a great response. What I did and my twins didn't look anything alike when they were born, but they did come out of me. I was there and people <laughs> always would say, or they would say, wow, they look nothing alike. And without missing a beat, I would say, yeah, different fathers. And, <laughs> and so they probably to, wondered if, if you were really next with, with two different people in one day. I mean, not, you know, impossible, but it, at that stage. Yeah. So and in, I, I mean, I've always worked and I know we're going to talk about menopause, um, but and, and I want to just say when people say, so what was it like when you went through menopause? And Lauren, I think you could really understand this. I always worked and I always did work I really loved and and I was passionate about. And I don't remember really feeling the blues or menopausal. I think I still sweat a lot. Um, but I really pushed through that era. And at 47, um, I got pregnant uh, and had a miscarriage at three months. And so that was a big surprise. And, and it was sad. It made me sad. So probably, um, you know, I raised kids and I've been working as a journalist uh, since my Chicago days, um, really. You know, I freelanced for the Tribune and Chicago Magazine. I worked for Margie Korshak, uh during those formative years. Um, and but but having said that, and I agree with you that if you have purpose and you're busy, then you don't get a lot of the emotional baggage that sometimes goes with menopause because there's the official ability to to be you know, to reproduce. But having said that, um, there are women who have no problem with the idea of entering menopause and are very busy and productive, but are flashing all night and can't get a decent night's sleep and feel really miserable. So yes, while being productive. And having a positive attitude makes an enormous difference. There are some people that the physical challenges are just horrible. Yeah. And I know, I know that. And I, and that was when I switched from wine to vodka also, <laughs> um, you know, Which is in, in my, in my podcast on 12 tips <laughs> to, to keep a normal weight after menopause, that actually is one of my tips. Because vodka, yeah. Vodka has a lot less calories than wine. And, you know, no, I, I and I also think, that, um, you know, I'm, I heard a lot from other people. I've always written about relationships. And so I would hear a lot from a lot of women, especially when I wrote um, The Secret Lives of Wives, 
Um, you know, all my books are mirrors of the passages of a woman's life. And so yeah. maybe as a journalist, Lauren, I've been more of an observer of life. Uh, I'm trying to stop that now and live as, as much as observe. But so is in, in the observation, if somebody was telling me what they were going through, either a bad marriage or a sexless marriage or horrific hot flashes in the middle of, of a work day where they sweat through their Gucci, Pucci, Chanel, everything. I would just be taking notes and like, wow, how did that feel? And so, you know, and then not maybe being so focused on um, what I was going through, oh, you know, mood things like who the hell doesn't have those, but not like violent. Right. Uh, I mean, it, it is different for everybody. So, okay. So let's talk about um, the book that you were um, talking about when I first met you, sex and women share how intimacy changes as life changes. So start by telling me what prompted you to write that particular book? Well, um, I actually had just written The Secret Lives of Wives. Um, That was my fifth book fourth book, fifth book. And um, I was in that book, Lauren is focused on women who'd been married or partnered for 20 years or longer. And I realized, and and so what does it take to stay married? It takes a don't get divorced. Or if you if you're not in an abusive or really boring or abandoned relationship, but they talked a lot about sex and how what's hot becomes cool. And it can have pockets of hotness, but uh, a pilot light is more soothing than a roaring bonfire. A roaring bonfire goes out like the roaring bonfire can't eat, can't sleep, shoot to the moon. uh, Part of of uh, our sexual attraction is is biologically uh, unsustainable. You know, when you read um, the anatomy of sex, you know, as as human animals, we can't sustain that. So the ticket to surviving in a long relationship that involves sexual energy and uh, connection is to realize that the new becomes old. And are you okay to ride along with that um, bumpy, uh, sometimes dissatisfying, uh, frustrating journey where sometimes people stray? But we'll talk about that. But I want to talk. Okay, so it just so happens that that was one of the few books that you wrote that I had not read. So that's what I did this last weekend is I read The Secret Lives of Wives, um, women share what it really takes to stay married. And I read a number of passages to my husband because we were actually taking a long car trip and it was the perfect book to discuss while we were in this long car trip. And the thing that I was thinking about and that we were talking about is, I don't know if you're familiar with Wednesday Martin, but um, I did a podcast with her a few months ago. I interviewed her and she's a cultural anthropologist who's also written a number of books. And one of the things that she has studied and what she has written about are the huge number of women who cheat on their husbands or practice consensual non-monogamy and, and how that anthropologically from a biologic point of view that we were not meant to be with the same partner for 40 or 50 years. And, and she really makes the case for that being the way to sustain um, relationships is to perhaps open up the relationship or end the relationship. But that's not the kind of secret life you're talking about at all. In fact, you took the exact opposite approach. So talk a little bit about how you can have a long marriage, sustain a long marriage without 
having other partners or leaving it. Give, give us a story or two from the book. Well, so it's so interesting. Um, one of my, well, for, first of all, Margaret Mead, the anthropologist also believed in se- sequential monogamy. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I've, on a personal front, that would not work in my long marriage. You know, I, um, I, you know, maybe it would work for me, but I would be too uh, interested in, in my dear husband's other partners and probably not happy. And also, and so that would not work. But, you know, I, I, one of my favorite stories it, and my favorite women in this book were widows or, well, I'll tell you so one story, you know, what, One of the women that I interviewed who was on a second hot, hot marriage, and the marriage was like 25 to 30 years. She was from Florida. And uh, I I met her at a book signing and uh, she was dressed in like hot orange, neon orange, neon orange lipstick, really long orange nails. And, you know, and and, um, she I always say when I was I was uh, signing um, a book and I said, may your life always be filled with passion and purpose. And she looked at me and she said, honey, so much passion. And, you know, she was 76 years old and I liked her immediately. You know how you're sometimes I just said, oh, my gosh, I've I've got to interview you um, for my next. uh, You know, I just want to interview. I didn't know it. And so she invited me to her Florida house and she walked down the stairs in this very floaty caftan. And I realized that, that she didn't have anything on. Um, underneath that. And she said to me, oh, honey, you're early. My husband and I are going to um, take a little hot tub and smoke a little pot. Would you like to join us? And I was just so mortified. And I, I first of all, I, I uh, and so, and she said, we, we just got back from a tantric um, workshop in Hawaii. And it's, it was so satisfying. And she started and I said, I'll take a little vodka and just call me when you guys are dressed. You know, But it was really interesting how hotness um, can come in bursts of creativity, I would say. You know, here's a couple who was always experimental. They were monogamous, but they were very experimental. And, and I found like many of the women that I interviewed in their um, well, uh, we're talking about secret lives of wives, right? Yes, so yes. they were all married like 20 years. So the women in their 40s were still dealing, and you can relate to this, with a teenager or a mortgage or, a, or a, a, you know, really cranky in-law. Like once you're out, the kids are out of the house, there's, there's something that happens that really unleashes us. I think the ticket to a long non-polyamorous marriage, which I'd like to talk about because many of my college students now are not, they're not, either they're claiming non-binary or um, queer, but polyamorous is the word of the moment, is really to have great girlfriends and to have other things that fill the arteries of your life. Not, no person, no one person can make you happy all the time. And if we count on someone to make us happy, one person, it's really a ticket to divorce. And I'll just end this by saying, I have great girlfriends and they go back 30 and 50 and 40 years. And here in Maryland, where I I live, they there's always someone to have happy hour with. There's always someone to go out and wine with. There's always someone with with whom to vent. I don't think guys always have that. No, they don't. And 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 that's always been interesting to me because um, my second husband, my current husband, my forever husband, my fabulous husband, 
he has a million guy friends and he keeps up with them and he's very close with them and he carves out time every day to connect with his close guy friends. And I know how rare that is because my first husband, other men in my life have not had those kinds of relationships. And I think also that's one of the things that drew me to him is any guy that has close friends is going to be a guy that I want to be friends with. And well, it's funny because when I talk to you or I'm trying to connect with you, you might text me and say, I'm with a girlfriend right now. I'll call you back. So you know how important that artery of, you know, no one understands a woman better than um, uh, than someone who lives in our skin. But the other thing you mentioned that I want to circle back to, because it's so important, there were two things. One is that this woman with the kaftan, who was, you know, the, the, the pot smoking, sex woman. 76. Right. And I think that there is this societal myth, which, of course, is propagated in the media, that women in that age group are not interested in being sexual. And as a gynecologist to many women who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s, they are not all, but certainly many of them are very sexual. And they may not be sexual in the same way they were when they were younger. Um, there's all kinds of new and different ways to be sexual that is equally, if not more, satisfying. So that's number one. And number two is when you talked about the fact that they were doing all these different things and tantric sex, and really it's about making the old new. It exactly. might be the same partner, but it's the old analogy of if you have chocolate chip pancakes for breakfast every morning after 20 years, you're not going to want to look at a chocolate chip pancake. And then someone gives you a cheese omelet and it's like, oh, that's interesting. So you can still be having breakfast, but you just have to switch it up a little bit so that it's something that you find exciting and new and different. And I think that's what I'm getting from from your book is exactly. hearing these stories well, and, and about and women who make it new. Well, and so I'm thinking of two other stories. One of my one of my 55 year old sources um, who had a special needs child uh, who was a twin. Uh, every other month they have quote hotel sex, and you know it, it might be a days in, it may be a holiday in, but it ain't at home. And you know it's just kind of going out. And and I you know just got back from four days with my husband just out of the house. We were in Hudson, New York, and you know there's something. The sexual, even about not sex, just about having a relationship, you know, and about yeah. handholding and and feeling connected. So I'm one of the, you know, I don't feel like a really traditional person, but I believe in hanging out with our history holders. Yeah. I believe there's real grounding with my girlfriends and my boyfriends and my husband. He's my history holder. Yeah. And so um, that is so grounding. You know, my parents stayed married. Of course, it wasn't a perfect marriage. But I, I do believe that you can go the distance with one partner under one roof for as long as until one kicks yeah. um, with just that kind of fluid attitude about, you know, if this sucks, what is it about me that's blaming him or her? about my empty soul, yeah. like I, I'm feeling an empty soul and girlfriend. And, and it is, it's like, oh my God, he's, he, she is just not making me happy. Well, what the hell, you know, you got yourself. We're going to be alone at some But But point. having said that, as someone who's on a very, very happy second marriage that would be my forever marriage, sometimes there are, and my husband, my first husband was not abusive. We just, for a variety of reasons, we weren't right for each other. And we're good friends now, and we're still a family, and it's all very, you know, cordial, and I'm very lucky and worked hard to make that happen. But the point is, is that 
Yes. I mean, you and sometimes a marriage has to end times a marriage or sometimes it, you're just better off. And, and I, and I do love the, the idea that you, what you interviewed more than 200 women whose marriages had survived at least 15 years, but I think and some who haven't and right. some who haven't. Right. So I do think that, you know, every, everyone's story is different, but, but I do love the stories that you collected. It's, it's a really good read. I just, and, and also it just was such a good, just starting point for conversation with with myself and my husband. All right, so well, let's let's move over because I want to talk about sex after. Um, women share how intimacy changes as life changes. Now, of course, the thing that struck me when I first met you and that book, and when I think about how intimacy changes as life changes, I mean, I'm a gynecologist, so I think, okay, life changes, menopause, your vagina dries up, you can't have an orgasm anymore. And then, of course, when I looked at your book and started to read it, and I realized, no, your book is not about that at all, which is... I'm not a gynecologist. It was actually perfect that they had us both sitting next to each other, because the truth is, is everyone needed both books. <laughs> you know, the, the sex after as far as when you're, you know, you have dry gyne, and sex after when life circumstances change. So talk about that book, The Sex After, what prompted you to write it and just what that book was about. So um, again, I'm a college professor. And so I was starting to, uh, and I'm just going to take you through, why did I interview 20-year-olds and 85-year-olds? And by the way, the 84-year-old widows who had only been with one person their entire life and all, and all of a sudden was dating were having some of the, quote, best sex of their life and, and literally some of the only sex of their last 30 years, you know, and, and I... I just remember this woman uh, from Florida. I get a lot of great interviews from widows in Florida, you know, who are just dating again. Yeah. But, you know, that that they're alive. They could live another 16 years. You know, they're 82. They've lost a, a person. And when they married Lauren in the 50s, it was probably their only person they'd ever slept with. So now, you know, they're experimenting and sometimes, you know, the man might need Viagra or it might not work. So there's other, other things they're experimenting with sexually that they've never done before. But let me talk about the 20 year olds. So the 20 year olds, uh, uh, and I teach a class called Navigating Intimacy, where uh, it's a freshman class, and we just talk about relationships. How do you have healthy relationships sexually, uh, connectiveness, intimacy? What's intimacy? And a lot of them were forlorn because hookups are not emotionally fulfilling. And, you know, I, uh, I, I quote Justin Garcia, who runs the Kinsey uh, Sexual Institute at the University of Indiana. And if you haven't interviewed him, you have uh, got actually, to. Actually, he's name. on my schedule. Justin Garcia's you a good friend of mine. I'm on the in, I'm on the Kinsey board, and oh, oh, um, good. and I you know got it's going to be a great interview because he is amazing, amazing. So you know, so the um, emerging adults, which are his, um, which he looks at in the hookup culture, you know that it, it, what happens so often is when you sleep with someone and you're having a good time, these 25-year-olds, they want to have a more of an emotional commitment. And a lot of times it, the studies show, and Justin will tell you this, that it's the woman who probably gets bruised more than the man in, in these classic heterosexual relationships. So I, you know, really looked at um, the, the younger person who might, uh, you know, 43% of their parents were divorced or even 47% looking at 
long-term commitment and even a, a solid, consistent sexual partner, far different, um, you know, than generations ago. And then I was also looking at um, how adultery affects a long-term marriage, um, which um, people strayed. And I was very interested in finding out that a marriage could survive. And I know that you know this from talking, you know, even though you're in a, a gynae, um, people probably tell you everything. You probably know more about life and things that you could like write a hundred books beyond our exes. Um, and so I just became interested in the human experience of how um, how they relate to sex. I had one of my favorite couples that I interviewed um, had been married for like 40 years and right now, as she put it, we're both um, very, her hormones, she's not on hormones and she's not interested in sex and, um, and he's not interested in sex. And they're both, quote, too tired to go south, end quote. And they're having a just a huggy, kissy, hand-holding marriage. And she said they have one of the best relationships of anyone they've they know. And so, you know, the, the whole, again, the timeline of sexual satisfaction and sexual needs and trying to have, and you know this better than anyone, you know, trying to have the same sexual companionship at the same time is really but, but that's difficult. the tricky part because you know certainly with the sex therapists that I work with we talk a lot about desire discrepancy and if you have two people as you described that don't need to have intercourse but are still sexual and intimate and as long as they're both on the same page that's a beautiful thing the problem is if you have one person who wants more than that and the other one doesn't and and that's when a marriage can, can end and that's when a marriage could end and um and the, or that's when someone might stray. Another interesting part of the book, I learned so much from this book. I learned that I didn't want to be 20 again. Um, you know, I remembered some sort of bad boyfriends in my 20s who, uh, you know, weren't um, loyal. Uh, but I also learned, um, you know, from I learned that if I outlive my partner spouse, um, that there's life after. And I mean, I'll just say it. And, you know, there's life after death that it ain't over till it's over, because I can tell you, I interviewed a lot of women from 75 to 90 who were having that they wanted companionship. Right. And well, usually the people that have the best marriages, quite frankly, are the ones that want another relationship when one of the partners dies. I mean, that that certainly, as you know, has, has been shown. The people that have a terrible marriage, and then if one of them dies, they're just as happy to be on their own. So... So, you know, no, no question that a good yeah. marriage means you want to continue to have that relationship. Okay. So let me ask you this. So when we talk about sex after, so you've mentioned sex after partner spouse, sex after adultery, sex after menopause, what other kinds of sex afters? Well, sex after someone got his leg amputated, uh, uh, um, you know, sex after breast cancer, uh, sex after your partner is not the physical uh, person that you married or, you know, you were a boob guy or you, um, you know, I a brilliant young woman, one of my youngest interviewees, her her uh, husband, who she, whom she married right before he went to war, came back without a leg and he was severely, severely depressed. Yeah. And then she went on and stayed married to him. And I'm still 
um, in touch with her uh, and she's making her marriage work. I mean, his missing leg was more uh, obviously uh, an object of depression and horror and, 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 and pain to him. And, you know, I interviewed one of the top um, uh, breast, uh, I guess it's uh something oncologist who is, is who people go to oncologists. Yes. And, and, you know, she talked about how people, women respond um, to um, having a breast removed and how sometimes, you know, that doesn't, that can end a marriage. And when I hear that, Good riddance, you know, good riddance. It's it's such a good book, Iris, and it's such an important book because nobody lives more than 10, 15, 20 years without having after. Something after, something happens. That's life. Things come along, and it's really about resiliency and reinventing yourself and reinventing a relationship, and that's why the premise of that book was really brilliant. Well, my, um, go on, I'm sorry. And I was going to say, and I want to move on to... um, one of the themes that we've talked about a little bit at that runs through really all of your writing is, again, the, the power of female friendships. And that brings me to your most recent book, Camp Girls, Fireside Lessons on Friendship, Courage, and Loyalty. So tell us a little bit about that book. Well, I can tell you a lot because I just got back from summer camp. Really? So um, I, I really, the I still one work. There, I'm just wondering. I, I am. Um, I, and I can still do the splits and the girls have me do it every um, summer. So I went to Camp Walk for Girls in Minocqua, Wisconsin, Minocqua, Wisconsin um, from 1963 to 73. I started at age eight. And ended as a counselor at uh, 18. And then I skipped 40 years. And then I went back to camp. I was invited back to camp at our 85th reunion by the new camp director because I, I told her, oh, my gosh, I got my literary start at Camp Agwalk. We had this weekly magazine called Aglog. And I wrote every week about counselors we would tease and the tall pine trees and the breeze. And, and it turned out she had read one of my books and she said, what's Agalog? We don't have Agalog. And in, in like two minutes, she said, would you ever want to? And I said, what if I, so I came back, I'm getting chills. I'm such a camp girl. So I, and then I came back uh, nine years ago, eight years ago, nine years ago, and I resurrected Agalog. Uh, so I do this activity writing in the woods at the picnic tables. Uh, the only summer I missed was the summer that all camps were closed, our COVID summer. And I had to leave early this uh, year as well. Um, but it's been very. So what about why did I write Camp Girls? Because Camp Girls is about uh, girls who go to camp and like it or it, whether it's a two week Girl Scout camp or five nights over and, you know, in, in five night overnight. Once you're away from mommy and daddy and you have to deal on your own, you can't set you when, when you're in a cabin with strangers or you're out there on your own at a young age, there's no mommy and daddy to heal the fight. You got to deal on your own. So you become resilient. Um, you can become brave. Uh, you've got to try a lot of new activities. And so when I look at my life, when I look at the best parts of who I am, the most mischievous parts of who I am, the most adventurous parts of who I am, and probably some of the worst parts of who I am, it all came from camp. I mean, I you you, you saw my trophy over here yeah. uh, from the 1970 horse show. I mean, that was like one of the biggest moments of my life is winning the horse show. But, but the friendship... 
my best friends, and I talk to at least one of them every other day, I've known for 60, 55 years, and they're my camp girls. And so it's about loyalty. It's about leadership. It's about team building. It's about flexibility. It's about versatility. It's about tradition. And so all that stuff, if you like camp, uh, and, you know, it, it really... It was, I'll tell you, and you, you will understand this because it's really now I'm the editor, a senior editor of an aging a publication to try to, um, you know, support healthy aging. Um, but when I uh, went back to camp as a 59 year old and, and it became an intergenerational family, like a kibbutz or something, I realized that young people have so much to learn from older people and older people have so much to learn from young people. So that mosaic of life has really fulfilled me is to be involved, not only with uh, my college students, but my, my really smart 10 year olds who say things like, Oh, Iris, you ought to be on TikTok," And, you know, so it, it's been just um, very, very fulfilling. But, but I would think that even for the woman who was not a camper to read this book, it's really lessons learned about how important female friendship is and having courage and, and being loyal. And that these are things that you can start at any time in your life. You know, I think it's one, and- one, one of the beautiful things of, of being, as you talk about when your kids are finally out of the house and you have time, you have time to make new friends, to maintain these friendships, to become very dependent on each other in a good way, you know, to really um, foster that and, Yes, it's a beautiful thing when you have 50 or 60 year old friendships to look back on, but that doesn't mean that you can't start that at any time. And I well, new friends can become and I love that you brought that up because my editor at Grand Central, which is part of Hachette Gretchen, she bought the book and she said, I didn't go to camp, but I went to an all girls school and I totally relate to this. You know, I think that women who who don't have close friends really miss out on a lot. And and I mean there's many, many reasons why a woman would would prefer not to have close girlfriends. Maybe it's mother issues and I'm not a shrink. I don't know. Or maybe it's possession of a man that they think is going to like other, you know, or depend over dependence on a partner. But uh, you know, I would die without my girlfriends. You know, I really feel that that element of connection with, and I have a sister who is I'm very close to and really fills my heart with, you know, just sister, the sisterhood. Well, you know, the thing I think about is, is my dad died very young. My mother and father had a wonderful relationship and my father died when he was only 63 and my mother was in her late fifties. And all of their friends were couple friends. And my mom, who was a, a brilliant woman, and she had graduated from Northwestern in a time when nobody went to college, you know, back in the, in the 40s and the 50s. But she went back to school. She went back to the University of Chicago, and she had a whole new group of friends in her late 50s and early 60s who were her dear friends until she died. And these were all new friends. But it was this idea of really appreciating the fact that friends are critically important. And it turned out she didn't have another relationship after my father, but it didn't matter. Either way, those friends really became her lifeline and made the rest of her life very rich. 
And I yeah. think that, I love that is story. what we take from, from your book is that these relationships are so important, even if they don't start when, when you're very young. This is something that at any time in your life, you can say, okay, this is important. This is a priority. Whether I'm in a relationship with a man or a spouse or a partner or not, those friendships with other people um, well, are, are really, really important. Well, when you think of the blue zones, which is where the, that has the highest number of centenarians in the world, you know, in Japan, and there's one in California. And one of the components other than eating a healthy diet and staying physically active is being surrounded by people. And, you know, we're social animals and that's a, a stress buster and busting stress means that you have a better chance of avoiding high blood pressure and stroke. I mean, it's, and touch. It's, it's, Don't forget touch. The hug, the holding hands, the just, you know, sitting next to someone and touching their shoulder. It's just, you know, this human touch, whether it's physical, emotional, verbal, so important. In one of my marriage books, I think the second book, Surrendering to Marriage, um, I, you know, I was interviewing this woman who was 27, newly married, and she said, you know, we're not, um, we're not touching. And I don't know why I said it. I said, if you're not touching, touch. If you're not talking, if you're not touching and you're not talking, someone's touching someone else, you know, and, and usually, hello, you know. Oh, good point. Yeah. You know, I, I just, boy, I wish we had time to talk about all your books. And I, I am going to put the complete list in the program notes, but I just want to mention a couple of titles because I love your titles. Um, I am my mother's daughter, making peace with mom before it's too late, surrendering to yourself. You are your own soulmate. Uh, surrendering to marriage, husbands, wives, and other imperfections. You can reinvent yourself at every stage and age. And I'm 67 now. And right when I, quote, retired, I became a faculty emerita at American University. I still teach a couple courses a year. Um, I was hired by my old editor at um, Huffington Post. She's younger than me, but she was my editor at Huffington 50. She was hired by AARP to start some youth youth and I fabulous newsletters. One is the girlfriend, uh, which is more for a younger audience up to 50 and the Ethel. Well, it was, it was called disrupt aging, but now it's called Ethel and Ethel is named after the founder of AARP. Ethel um, was named Ethel and she was the founder of AARP at the age of 73 in 1958. So as the senior editor of the Ethel, it's sort of, you know how your life comes together, like every single thing I've done in my life from being a young person in cowboy boots and silk shirts and tight blue jeans, which I still try to wear, it doesn't come off as great in my 20s, to now being imperfect, you know, just everything I've ever done in terms of interviewing women in their passages of life, uh, like a mini Gail Sheehy, who I admired so much. Now I get to edit uh, and assign stories to brilliant writers and thinkers like you about every aspect of aging, about relationships, about sex, about what are you cooking? What are you making? How does it feel to have sex after your husband dies? How does it feel to have no sex with your husband? It's a lot. And, and what it, I love about all those pieces, because I read it from you know every single one, right, well, you're in Apple, most- and in the program notes, I will tell you how to get a copy yourself, how to subscribe to the but not only is every single thing in there, you know, relevant and sexy and the Iris Kras now touches all over it, but 
I think the thing that jumps out at me the most is so many women tell me that they feel invisible after right. they're 50 or 60. Irrelevant. And, and, and irrelevant. And your stories that you choose and the topics that you choose and that you assign and, of course, the things you write, it's all about not being invisible, if anything, being more relevant. And I think... Um, I think that's your 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 talent. I think that's your gift is not only in what you write, but in, in being the senior editor and really finding those things that make women say, oh, I'm still alive. I'm still in. Well, it's so great because every day and, you know, we talked about the power of connection and every day online. I hear from 10 or 15 women and you know that, you know, that with story ideas and, and it's I'm always communicating with people with ideas, um, whether it be, um, you know, the five best recipes, vegetarian recipes to how I feel when my dog died. One of my writers, her longtime dog died and, and you know, and, and there's sadness and there's loss. But after loss, there's hope. And so I try to make all our assignments, you know, if there's a woe is me element that doesn't end with some filament of hope and spark, I can't accept it. You know? well, I, I have and, to say that when I read the Ethel, I'm always smiling. And Good. and I think that that's one of the, the, the things I love about it so much. All right. So tell me, because I've always been wanting to ask you this, but I haven't. Of the different types of articles, which are the ones that get the most hits? You know, I want to know what are women over the age of 50 most interested in reading about? Our audience loves the style and fashion pieces. Five easy pieces you already have in your wardrobe. Neck creams that work. I mean, I'm just um, paraphrasing, but style and fashion, comfortable shoes, um, uh, you know, and really the pet articles do really well. The food articles do really well. It, 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 you know, I was so I will, hoping you were going to say, and your articles do and really I, well. I, You didn't let me do this. I, I was going to say that people love sex and, you know, and, and I, I love when you write because, you know, I, I get a lot of press releases like meet this expert who knows about this part of menopause and what's really good about you and, and really about some of our other very famous writers, which I put you, you know, well-known writers is that you can go in so many directions. And I think that to just talk about sex, there's so many, there's such a depth to the sexual experience. And so, I mean, I think, and, and we like that variety. People like it, um, you know, sex, food, fashion, <laughs> relationships. And, so you know, clearly it, you I know, need to do an article about aphrodisiacs, mm, you know, what food will make you feel sexy, and then which shoes you should wear during sex. I mean, that is going to hit all the points, right? And that could be one article. Yeah, the That's myth. What I'm saying one article. It's going to be what shoes you wear, what food do you eat? And when, while your dog is in the room. While your dog is in the room and what neck cream should you put on while well, you're like having sex? I love well, it. I got my next assignment. So tell everyone, and I will put this information in the program notes as well, but, but tell everyone how they can join the Ethel community. So you can go on AARP ethel.com and it's a free newsletter it'll come to you every wednesday you just have to tell them what uh what your email is and your birth date and you'll get it every wednesday and lauren maybe you could also share how to um join the private uh facebook um that's, that's new circle, so, so, the ethel so circle tell what, that, we did that. tell what that is 
Uh, it's just uh, uh, another Facebook private page for our community, just building community. And it's all about healthy aging. Everything we do is about healthy aging. And, you know, it's funny because I, my Aunt Gloria, who died at 90, she used to say, um, I look in the mirror and I, I see a 90-year-old woman, but I feel 17. And I look in the mirror and I mean, you know, I dye my hair gray, so I look older. Ha ha. You do you look 20. No, but, you know, I feel like there's something very and, and you know, I don't want to say that we feel young because that's that's ageist to say, oh, I feel so young. But I think hope, you know, young people, although it's hard to be hopeful right now with the environment and other things going on, if you don't have hope, you don't have anything. So in the end. I try to write, I do write books that I believe inspire people to keep, keep on going, you know, that how do you survive in life? You get off the couch and you, you know, we all have a lot of baggage and you just go forward onward. My father used to say onward, old girl onward. And in, you know, it's not that you can always let go of the past, but the inability to move forward is what causes the greatest obstacles in your life. This has been great spending this time with you. We never get to do this. We're always always five minutes here, five minutes there. And I am very excited to hear about your next book. And patience is not one of my virtues, but I will be patient until you're ready to publicly talk about it. And is there any last words that you want to add before we say goodbye? Well, I just I welcome letters from people who want to write for us or just want to share a story. Uh, And I'm iris.krasno at gmail.com, although um, Lauren's going to post my website. I would say this. Depression is at an all time high on, on many layers. If you ask anybody, how are you? Nobody can say you can have the best family in the world, the best job in the world. But there's many layers of life right now that are really oppressive. And I I would just say that things could be worse. I learned that from my Holocaust survivor mom and that we've we've made it through really wickedly uh, harmful, destructive, depressing eras of life. and, And for some reason, we're still here. And I think that's a message that we need to pass on to our children and grandchildren too, because there's a lot of um, why, you know, frustration with the way things are with the environment, with politics. And we just have to be hopeful. You know, we have to be hopeful and, and not sit around. And also if you believe in something like you, you don't like all the gun violence or you think global warming is a problem. There are many activists in their fifties and sixties and seventies who are getting off the couch and making a difference. You know, I would say to get involved in a cause you believe in instead of just complaining about it. So those are my final words. And now I'm going to make a martini. And this has been the highlight of my day. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker. And thank you for joining me. You will find lots more information in my inside information books available on amazon.com. And follow Francie as she navigates her way through vaginal dryness, hot flashes, and pretty much every menopausal symptom you can think of.
Bye. 